You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. We got two of us, of the three of us here this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old Will, he's uh, not with us this week. He is uh, in the land of the Yik Yak. Yes, he is. He's uh, Brazilian waxing for his leather thong. Yeah, that's right. Brazilian Yik Yak and waxing. <laughs> Straight waxing the Yik Yak. <laughs> yeah, with his, uh, his uh, poop deck pappy hat on. <laughs> I want to say Popeye, but you know, let's, let's go a little, little deeper and go to the poop deck. Uh, squinty eye, what squinty eye? That's right. Uh, hey. The uh, oh, I'm fucking ten years old. <laughs> yeah. uh. The um, the show is still going to go on this week, though. Happy Father's Day to those of you who celebrate those kind of things or are into those kind of things, and. Uh, we're going to record a show for you here. Don't know uh, what the quality will be. Be the same quality you've probably come to expect over the years. As I think I quoted last week, as I'm quoted last week as saying the lack of quality mm-hmm. you've come to expect. Um, but this is episode 498. We are getting up there and moving along, man. Pretty soon, 500 episodes of the show, uh, 500 legit episodes. It's crazy to think about that. So I've got an interesting idea for episode 500. Which we'll announce soon, um, and see how that goes. Uh, see, yeah. see that that should be fun. Should be a fun episode. So, yeah, I think so. Some uh, interesting things to talk about. Um, okay, well, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, it's me and Todd, like I said. So, Todd, what have you been watching? I'm going to be forthright. I always say this because uh, I need to say it. I haven't watched anything. Well, actually, I have watched one thing. So, look, there I am, already stepping on myself. Uh, Look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about it here in a minute. Ty, what have you been watching? Uh, a couple things. Um, usually I wind up trying to cram stuff in uh, around the stuff for the show because I'm trying to keep ahead. Uh, but I got a few things in here. Um, number one, I got uh, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, 1943, from the uh, 
the little team up of uh, Powell or Pressburger. Um, and it's got uh, Roger Livesey. I'm assuming that I'm pronouncing that correct. Mm. Deborah Kerr. Um, and it's a nice, uh, it's a nice little movie uh, about this guy who, you know, showing his life. Um, it's really filled up with uh, a lot of that British uh, stiff upper lip kind of thing, uh, which makes sense. It's a, it was 1943. We're you know very, very, very much embroiled uh, in uh, World War II at the time. Um, so you can, you know, it, it all makes sense. Uh, and of course, it's you know um, very pro. Uh, that sort of attitude, that sort of lifestyle. Um, but it's really good. It's fun. It's funny. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, it's very well acted. Uh, Livesy does a, a great, um, great job going from a, a young uh, soldier in, into an old man. Uh, and they do a nice job with the makeup as well. And of course, you know, it's loaded up with uh, just that that beautiful Powell and Pressburger production value. The colors are fantastic. The uh, the art, the uh, what am I thinking of? The art direction uh, is fantastic. Uh, you know, there's some great matte paintings, uh, all sorts of stuff in here. Uh, the sets are phenomenal. Uh, it's really something to see. It is about three hours long. Uh, so for those of you who don't like uh, long movies, you might want to shy away from this one. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I think it's uh, it's very much worth uh, worth seeing. Uh, Powell and Pressburger, interesting. Uh, Interesting pairing, uh, their their career and what they put out. My personal favorite from them, I think, is still Black Narcissus. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, hey, I have yet to be uh, let down by one of their movies, and if nothing else, uh, they always always look fantastic. So you can at least uh, get a lot just in visuals uh, to uh, to draw from. Uh, so there was that. And I moved on to A Touch of Zen from King Who, uh, 1971. This is uh, one of the early uh, martial arts movies, and I think one of the early Wuja movies. Um, mm. And it's really, you can kind of tell, it's certainly not in the uh, Chang Che uh, sort of school of, uh, of martial arts movies. Um, and there's another one, this is like three hours long. Uh, and quite frankly, I think that that really hinders this one. Uh, again, I think it's a really good-looking movie, uh, but I think that it really drags its ass along, and I think that it sprawls with the uh, the plot a bit too much for me. Uh, so I wound up kind of disconnecting uh, a bunch of times uh, during this. Um, who does do a really nice job with, uh, you know, uh, telling his story with uh, very little dialogue, at least in the beginning. Um, so that's, you know, that's in the positives. Uh, you can see, uh, how he was creating these sort of superhero, um, action moves that he, that he has in here, uh, through editing, because it's not as uh, as smooth as we would have we would see a little bit later with a lot more like wire work and stuff like that uh, but it is still I mean it's very much his own thing uh, and you know you do get uh, you well uh, I'll say this you do get to see a very young uh, Samuel hung in here yeah. um, is he got a bowl haircut he does not. Uh, this is yeah. This is not that. This is not that kind of guy. Uh, but not yeah, that you know, kind he, of he young Samo, Yeah. 
Um, and uh, and yeah, but I mean, it's well, and I, I, Jackie Chan uh, is an extra in it as well. Uh, but uh, I did not spot him when I was watching it, so I can't, I cannot hundred uh, percent testify to that one. Um, but yeah, no, I mean this this is good. I, I think I need to revisit it again. Uh, but uh, like I said, I mean it, it is it is it is glacially paced. I think uh, for much of the uh, the runtime, although it does, it, I think once you get to the ending, it, it really kind of gets very interesting when you bring in these uh, these monks that have been uh, popping up throughout the movie, um, and you know what they do with that. Uh, and it does have some some good stuff in there. It just takes a long road uh, to get to kickstart any kind of story, I think. But I think that's also because they're trying to develop characters. Uh, so I give them credit for that. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, it is, it's not something that you want to, it's not breezy uh, sort of three hours uh, to, to just sit down and pass the time with. Um, and you do have to pay attention to it as well, I think. So, uh, so there was that. And let's see. Uh, been... Uh, digging through the uh, the Pierrette, uh box set, and I got up to as long as you've got your health. And this was a little anthology, 1966. It's a little over an hour long. Um, there's four stories in it, uh, and uh, they're all you know they're all pretty darn good. Um, I don't think this is uh, his best stuff, but it's interesting to see. I mean, this time he goes through and. Uh, he's, he appears to use even less dialogue than he does before. He's still sticking to his uh, his silent comedy uh, routine. Um, he does show a nice little visual flair uh, here with uh, with the Dracula story, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a Pierre Tay movie. So I mean, you kind of know what to expect. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once you've seen one, you kind of you kind of get the idea. Yeah, uh, but it's good. It's quality. Uh, it's quality stuff. Uh, and uh, like I said, it's only an hour long, so you can easily uh, get through this thing, and uh, it's breezy enough, uh, unlike uh, A Touch of Zen. So there you go. Um, I followed that up with Mr. Stuart Gordon's Dolls, 1987. And this was one that I had never seen before. Um, and then I watched it now, and now I can say that I've seen it. Um, <laughs> I got to say, I... Uh, this came in right around where I thought it was going to come in. Um, it is that uh, it is produced by Charles Band, so it's got all the you know obviously it's got the killer dolls thing going on. Although this time around, uh, they're not really they don't really have personality like the uh, like stuff like Puppet Master and all that sort of thing that he no Nazis, he got no. into. There's no Nazis in this one, uh, or at least not overtly uh, no. that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does have Guy Rolf in it. Uh, who is uh, great and you know for old school uh, Brit film uh, people uh, he's uh, he's been around a long time him and Hillary Mason uh, who most people would recognize from Don't Look Now uh, I believe she was the blind uh, woman in Don't Look Now um, but uh, yeah I mean this thing just kind of moves along it's, it's got about the most basic of basic plots uh it does have some uh, some decent uh, effects work uh, there's some nice stop motion stuff and uh, some John Carl Beekler uh stuff going on here especially with the the teddy bear dream sequence which i think most people uh would put uh, put up there as being their yep. their uh, fondest memory uh, of this thing yeah um but the, i think the movie the movie kind of exists 
uh, well, I should say, lives off of uh, this sort of, you know, it's it's good natured in a way, uh, even though it's you know extraordinarily violent uh, and uh, and all sorts of uh, nastiness goes on. Um, you know, the, the film centers around you know this little girl and this guy who's kind of. You know, didn't want to. He doesn't want to grow up, but he has to grow up, or had to grow up. Uh, but he still, you know, misses toys, and you know, it's this whole kind of fondness for uh, for that sense of wonder uh, that uh, that we all lose as we grow older. Um, and I think that that's kind of the charm uh, of what's happening here. And of course, Stuart Gordon's a, a solid director, no matter what. So you know, it, it is you know, there's a definite craftsmanship uh, happening here. Uh, so give it credit for that, but at the same time, it just—I mean—it just kind of flowed along, and then uh, all the jerks that you want to see dead die, um, and then the movie's over. Um, so yeah, there was that. And then I got to a little one that I've been meaning to check off my uh, list of shame for a long, long time. Uh, Torso, 1973, oh, yeah. uh, from Mr. Sergio Martino, and. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is a solid giallo. Uh, I I don't uh, man. I gotta say, I I was really kind of hoping to be blown away by this a bit more than I was. Yeah, uh, yeah. there is a lot to love about it. Uh, there's some great sequences like the uh, the stuff in the swamp, uh, and the uh, the the last third uh, is really nicely uh, orchestrated. I think, um, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's pretty much a giallo, um, and it has, you know, it's got it's plentiful, plentiful uh, female flesh on display, uh, and there's yep. a, you know, there's a, a psychedelic hippie freak out uh, in the middle of the movie. So uh, for everybody wanting that, uh, you get that. And um, uh, what else? Uh, there's uh, there's there's a lot of violence towards women, uh, as you would expect from a giallo and a guy wearing a. Uh, one of the otter um, uh, masks uh, I've seen—it's kind of a low, low-fi sort of thing. Yeah. This yarn <laughs> mask that yeah. the, that the eyes and the mouth are just kind of like unstitched, and you're yeah. like, really? Yeah, couldn't man. fucking you couldn't uh, <laughs> pop for something maybe a little bit? Uh, hey man, he's on a budget. A little there. bit <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he's on, he's on, a, yeah, he's on a for his level of uh, income, yeah. Once we find out who he is, yeah. uh, you understand exactly why he's uh, he's that cheap. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. Uh, it was fun. It's good. Uh, I don't think that it's well. It's it's definitely not my my favorite Giallo, um, but it's uh, it's not bad. It's uh, it's solid stuff. Uh, and that is all that I watched, sir. Um, nice. Other than that, I'm just kind of yeah, my normal. TV stuff. I'm looking forward to the uh, the Perry Mason uh, series starts on HBO. I think today. Yeah, tonight. Yeah, so, tonight. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Yeah, to that looking too. forward to that. Yeah, see how that goes. See how that works out. That's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting uh, idea. I think take a famous TV character or a character like that. I think it might have been a book character before. I don't know. I never read any. Perry yeah, he Mason. was. Yeah, I thought he uh, Earl Stanley Gardner. I think created Perry Mason. Yeah. I want to say. Don't quote me taking a character like that and giving us an origin story is interesting it's like yeah uh, yeah yeah giving us well taking him out of the taking him out of the uh the courtroom yep uh you know it's interesting stuff could be quite interesting uh, i mean the preview is really enticing so 
Um, I didn't watch a whole lot. Uh, I watched throughout the week. I watched a guy catch a bunch of fish on a fishing show because I do that sometimes. There you uh, go. I like to watch that kind of stuff. I don't know why. But I did watch uh, something last night. Uh, Bipolar Rock and Roller uh, okay. is what it's called. It's uh, it's about a... Uh, he works for the WWE sometimes. Zamaro Ronaldo. Uh, he's an announcer. Uh, he's got bipolar uh, disorder, and uh, he's had some issues over the years and stuff. And this uh, this this is pretty good in in kind of its kind of raw look at uh, how a person lives and deals with that, and uh, how it's an ongoing disease. You know, as he says in the thing, it, it it doesn't it is a life sentence, but it doesn't have to be a death sentence. Right. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It's really hard uh, to understand bipolar disorder. I think, but this movie. Uh, gives you a pretty clear kind of look at maybe more so than I've seen in some other documentaries dealing with it on how somebody with bipolar disorder really hits those manic highs and how they hit those really low lows. Right, right. right. Um, again, I, I don't think it's anything like depression and everything else. I think those things are they're tough to explain uh, to anybody. I mean, there's probably tons of people out there that have depression and don't even realize they have it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's because you know it's just it's it's a mental disease and, and mental diseases are well. Right it's ahead. also become so normalized in a way. Mm-hmm. I think depression has. Yeah. yeah um, right. It's not that it's it's not that I think that it's necessarily. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not that it's well. I guess you could say popular would be a word, but uh, it's not like anybody wants it. But at the same time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that so many people have it that everybody's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, huh. yeah. Yeah, and it's easy to have. And then, of course, you know, sometimes it can be a situational. Like some people get depressed over, for instance, things that are going on in society right now. Sure. And then some people are just born with it. And then, uh, but bipolar disorder is a totally different thing. It's a, it's such a swing uh, in uh, personalities that it, it almost becomes like a personality disorder. It's very, it's very odd in that way. So, hmm. uh, it can be very intense for some people who have to deal with it. And, uh, not that I would know. I don't know anybody that way, but um, it is scary, a scary uh, disease and a very, very odd one when you think about it. So, mm-hmm. uh, But anyway, he's a uh, contact sports as uh, the best way to uh, to kind of uh, describe him, uh, announcer. He does boxing. He does uh, MMA. He does uh, uh, wrestling. So that's basically his thing. And, and Marvin has kind of got a – He's got an interesting way of doing stuff. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a very linguistic, uh, high vocabulary way of sports announcing. Uh, yeah. I knew when I first started hearing him and stuff, I knew there was something kind of different about him because of the way he uses words and things. Uh, come to find out, he's a voracious uh, reader uh, and voracious researcher. So it makes sense because uh, you know his announcing is very different than probably most. Um, so he's interesting in that way. But this is interesting for him to kind of get his story out there and stuff. And I just kind of happened upon this. I was looking at the Showtime app. I didn't even know this existed. I was just kind of happened upon it. It was an hour and 20 minutes, which is a that's a sweet spot there, bae. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as all of us know, we get older, and those hour and 20 and hour and 90-minute movies, those 90, well, not hour and 90-minute, but 90-minute movies, uh, they're sweet spots. Uh, so when we see them, we sometimes jump on them, I think. Um, but I had a good time. I had a good time with it. As good times you can have is watching somebody kind of suffer from bipolar disorder, not to make light of it, but 
It's a good story. Uh, not a great film, but a good story. Um, worth okay. a look. Um, that's about it. Yeah, like I said, watching people catch fish. That's what I've been doing. I don't know why. I started watching it this week and just couldn't stop. It's one of those things. It's a Chasing Monsters show on it on Netflix. There's a kind of Quebecois guy on there. Will might know who he is. And uh, he catches, you know, monster fish. And he's so optimistic as uh, those Canadians can be. <laughs> that joke would go over better with Will here. <laughs> Me and you are not Canadian. So, uh, no. We are, no. We are definitely pessimistic Americans. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you won't get any optimism here, baby. No, sir. All right. Screw All right. that. That's a short intro, but that is the intro. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we come back. I guess we're going to talk uh, Urban Cowboy first, I guess. So uh, I guess we'll jump into that. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Works we'll, for me. We'll uh, talk some Urban Curb, Cowboy. Urban Cowboy, yes. <laughs> Sounds like an uh, adult film that I don't. Sounds like something you would do with your dog. <laughs> yeah. What exactly is curbing? All right. We will. Uh, <laughs> it brings many images to mind. We I was going to say handkerchiefs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back right after this. I spent a lifetime looking for you Single bars and good time lovers were never true Playing a fool's game, hoping to win And telling those sweet lies and losing again One of the few shows where that song could go with both films, really. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah you got to be careful where you look for love. Don't look uh, in the yik yak. Yeah, be careful. Don't watch that Kerbin. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we are going to talk about Urban Cowboy uh, from 1980. Uh, directed by James Bridges. Bud is a young man from the country. Who learns about life and love in a Houston bar. Um, this is uh, essentially at the time, I believe it was kind of looked upon as the uh, the uh, country western version of Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, uh, and it kind of feels that way in certain aspects. Obviously, John Travolta being the lead actor yeah. uh, certainly helps it uh, <laughs> tremendously. In that regard, but it is also just a kind of coming of age story, uh, in in some ways too, kind of young adulthood and and trying to find your kind of meaning. Um, and uh, I, I think you know I picked it. Uh, I'll be forthright. I picked it because uh, I always like that the characters. Again, this is a very Sammy trait. Uh, you would have to admit 
there's some uh, even the good characters in this film are pretty unlikable in some ways. <laughs> uh, uh, and I kind of like that. I, you know, I, I like when movies have uh, unlikable characters because uh, uh, you know they feel more real to me. Um, uh, yeah, let's get into it, man. Uh, what do you What did you think of Urbane Cowboy? Uh, Curb and the Cowboys. I got uh, a couple things to say here. Um, okay, so first of all, we get uh, Travolta with a beard, uh, yeah. which kind of reminds me of Henry Cavill uh, for some reason. Yeah, this is um, a, this is an unkempt beard too, man. This thing is just yeah, like, dude, he's just like letting it grow, ratty all over the fucking joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, do some get a fucking trimmer, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know, I also noticed that in the very beginning of the movie, uh, there's a really nice shot of the uh, the stairs uh, and the kitchen bisected by the wall. Uh, so, I mean, if nothing else, there is uh, a lot of thoughtfulness for shot composition from James Bridges in this thing. It's not uh, it's not something where it's just kind of thrown together. Um, I think that uh, you know there was uh, there was a bit of care. Uh, put into this thing um whether or not it uh, it succeeds really is more up to the individual because obviously not everybody is into uh country music and all that sort of thing although at the time this sort of honky tonk sort of thing was uh was very in vogue especially uh through folks like burt reynolds yeah uh, and the hal needham movies and all that sort of thing yeah it got red hot again for a little while right so oh yeah and if nothing else this movie is like uh it's like a, an advertisement for Gillies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in a lot of ways, man, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it features prominently, uh, throughout. Um, so, uh, we have a sort of, uh, country mouse, city mouse, uh, sort of story, you know, Travolta gets in there. He puts his heart into being this, uh, this sort of country pure kind of guy. Uh, he even chews, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with chewing because you're all on the vaping. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he, you know, he's moving into the big city to chase the, uh, the American dream and he moves in with his, uh, his city folk, but not totally city folk relatives, which is where you get your Barry Corbin, uh, connection showing up here. Yeah. Um, I think this might've been Corbin's, I don't know if it was his film debut. I don't it know might about that. Um, that's not his. Fi- well, no, it is his film debut. Is it? Yeah, he did a couple TV things was, for that. But man, he's worked a lot. I uh, well, I, I think most people know him prominently from Northern Exposure. Yeah, uh, or War Games is very. Or War Games, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a very famous line in War Games we all love. Well, I piss on a spark plug if it'll work. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he was also well. I, I didn't know. I didn't realize he was in any which way you can. Yeah. Oh, a, that's right. He was one of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he's one in, of the uh, the rich guys. That, yeah. He's in. Yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah. in uh, No Country for Old Men. He. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody has seen a movie. I promise with Barry Corbin in it. He's one of oh, those. Oh God, you have kind of modern character actors who's done just about everything. And he's yeah, a, and he's kind of like Ben Johnson in a lot of ways. He yeah. feels like he feels like what he's putting on screen. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot he of time. feels real. He's one of those kind of character actors. I agree with that completely. Yeah, and he, and yeah, he can yeah. do he can do anything. He's uh, like I said, he, he's he's done just about everything, and he can do just about anything. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Uh, I like that uh, their house 
is in a new development with power lines right next to them. Uh, it kind of gives you, it kind of brings home that, uh, like I was saying, that sort of that contradiction between uh, the city and the country, and kind of this meeting up of the two uh, where they're living. Which I think was was it Houston or was it Houston or Dallas or yeah, it's Houston. Uh, I don't remember Houston. Is it was it Houston? Okay. Um, so uh, Gillies, like I said, is the the double douche uh, of the film. Yeah. Uh, and it's the main center point, uh, of the, of the film action. Uh, it's kind of like, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's kind of like a giant sports bar, uh, for cowboys or rednecks or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it was owned by uh, singer Mickey Gilly. Uh, and this was at a point, like I said before, when country was hot. Uh, so it, it only kind of makes sense that uh, Robert Evans, who was one of the producers on this would make the effort to cash in on the craze. Uh, just like Gilly did. So, hey, you know, credit yeah. where it's due. Yeah. Um, we are introduced to uh, Deborah Winger's character and at Gilly's, obviously. And she's clearly meant to be different from the other people, and particularly the, the women uh, at Gilly's. You know, because she doesn't just jump into bed with anyone, uh, although she does jump in with Bud because she sees something special in him. Uh, and she's kind of meant to be this independent sort of character. Um, uh, you know, uh, she wants to do the the punching bag game thing, even though she doesn't do it very well at it. Uh, but you know, Bud's always saying that there's some things women can't do. But then, you know, when she gets into when she gets into it with uh, with him, she gets upset that he gave her smack because you don't hit girls, and this is something that uh, that comes back around in the big way later on uh, oh, yeah. in the story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know I, that being said, I never could stand the way that Travolta says her name. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's just something about the way that he pronounces "sissy." Sissy. Uh, <laughs> come on, sissy. Sissy. Come on, sissy. I'm like, oh, yeah, stop, yeah, sis, stop yeah, saying. Yeah. It. Give it, give her a nickname or something. What, what the hell is he looking at you like? F O? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Travolta. I mean, coming from uh, Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah. Uh, is really man. It's kind of a bit to to take, although he does he he puts the effort in. I'll well, give him. I mean, I'll give him credit where it's due. Yeah, he they, he puts the effort into it. They give him the Travolta moments, right? I mean, we all sure. know well, Travol- he gets to dance. He gets to dance, and we all know Travolta can move well on screen. That's always been a thing of his. It's not just the, yeah, yeah. He's known for the disco dancing sometimes, but uh, the truth is, is that the guy can dance, and he's always been able to dance. And so they find a way to get him to dance in this, and. Uh, Kind of a fun tidbit. Uh, I think Patrick Swayze's sister, I think, uh, did the choreography for this film. Uh-huh. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I bought him as a Texas guy. I mean, uh, there were moments when the, Enough, yeah. yeah, there were moments when Vinnie Barbarino came out. Uh, certainly, I tell you what, I what I did buy the most from Travolta's performance, and I've always thought this: he is really good in this movie at showing you that. Um, that young immaturity, that uh-huh. uh, emotional uh, immaturity that young men can sometimes have. Yep. Um, yep. And he's really good at that in, in this. And his jealousy, uh, both him and Winger, they're kind of looks of jealousy and uh, being kind of lost and kind of trying to figure out relationships and potentially being damaged from their childhood. So there's none, none of that's kind of gone into here. But no. you can no. see both of them are... Uh, mistrust worthy uh they they have that in them they like neither one really trust the other at any given time 
they want to be married. They want to be this lifestyle, but they probably they got started. Yeah, they probably got started too soon and didn't realize it, like uh, a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that 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 still translates very well in the movie. Um, there's there's other issues. Obviously, I hadn't seen this in years. I'd seen it quite a bit growing up, but um, there's other issues with the movie. But I, 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 the performances are probably really the the highlight of the movie in a lot of ways, especially Winger. She's really good at, at this. She's really good at this kind of, you know, she did this and uh, she did another film called uh, uh, Cannery Row with Nick Nolte that oh, I thought yeah, was really yeah. good. And then she did an officer and gentleman, and she plays these kind of female characters who want to be loved, yep. but seem to be damaged in some way. And then she would go on to terms of endearment after officer and gentleman, and uh, she, and again, it's the same kind of character, but it's a different type of performance. But she really, you know, I I, I sometimes forget how good she can be. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, she's uh, well, her and Glenn, I think, are the uh, the two big like actors. Mm-hmm. in the movie yeah uh as far as you know legitimacy is concerned mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but uh yeah no I, I like i like that she has yeah like you said i mean she has this sort of um independent streak but she also has this fragility uh, about her that she's always been able to uh to capitalize on uh she never wants to show anybody her 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 uh weakness but at the same time uh, it's very much present, uh, yeah. and she has a really great way of uh, of playing that. She's always um, been interesting as an actress, and she doesn't work that much. You know, she doesn't. No, she's no, never she really. You know, she's done a fifth of the movies that uh, Barry Corbin has done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, in in uh, in their defense, she doesn't have Barry Corbin's looks. Yeah, that, that, so that is that is true. She's not going to be as popular as yeah. Barry she Corbin's. doesn't. You know, she doesn't work much. I mean, she works. She pops up every now and then. She'll come on for a little while, and then she goes away for a while. So she must just enjoy her private time. And you know, God bless her. That's what she enjoys. Uh, but sure. every time I see her, I'm reminded that you know she was a uh, she was a big time up and comer there for a while. Yeah, yes, yeah, she was. Uh, but I like that. Uh, you know. So she gets in there. Her first question to Bud is if he's a real cowboy or not. Yeah. Uh, because that's kind of what the film is about. Yeah. Uh, it's this sort of uh, Americana idealism and ethic that real cowboys supposedly had or have. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from aside from the the movie also being you know classic boy meets girl story, uh, you know because in her mind and in this movie and all that sort of thing, cowboys have heart. Uh, they're earnest. They're passionate, and they fight for what they want. And in this film, they're also, I think, very simple, mm-hmm. uh, and they have very simple conversations about very simple things. Yeah. Uh, not least of which, uh, because they're these two at least are very young and can't generally see past their nose. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, they're not looked down on for the simplicity. Uh, you know, they have uh, real emotions. Uh, for example, uh, some people may look at something like trailer life uh with disdain uh but when you know bud shows sissy uh their new trailer uh they're both you know they're both overjoyed about it this yeah. is this is to this is independence and this is moving up and moving out yeah uh and i think that that's you know really kind of part of the central idea uh what the movie's you know getting at is this sort of maturation process uh that goes on here yep 
Um, I agree. So, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Good job. We are called Star by my name. Uh, so we're we're introduced to the West High Tower, the Scott Glenn uh, character. Uh, we're introduced to him <laughs> riding a bull that definitely does not want to be ridden. Oh man. And I, I hope, I hope know, there wasn't Scott Glenn on there because, uh, you know, it looked like him though. I'll yeah. say this. It, it did look like him from, even though we were, you know, pretty far away. Yeah. Um, but then next thing you know, it Gillies has a mechanical bull, uh, which makes for a slightly more believable showdown than if Bud were to enter an actual bull riding competition. Yeah. A rodeo well, or what I, have you. The mechanical bull though. And the, uh, idealized cowboy lifestyle. Those yes. two things work really well together. Like the, the idea that Bud wants to be a real cowboy, and yes. uh, he's not a real cowboy, but he really strives for that aesthetic. And then he walks into his favorite nightclub at some point, and he sees something that potentially, and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, is this almost like uh, obsession he starts to get yeah. with this yeah, yeah. mechanical bull. And it's a nice play on that uh, that kind of youth uh thinking you're more important than you are type stuff. Like he really, yeah, I think yeah. like he really like, there's very much a narcissistic streak in Bud. Uh, Bud likes a lot of attention and uh, yeah. not just from Sissy, but also from uh, <laughs> everybody else at the bar. Like he wants to be the alpha male, the alpha cowboy of yeah. the group. And this kind of gives him a, a way in. And, uh, you know, looking at it now, at 47 compared to when I used to watch it, probably at 27 or younger, I can see that now more. I can see that, you know, that that bull gives him some kind of purpose. Yes, it uh, absolutely does. And, uh, because uh, he, he could really ride a real bull. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's an admirer of people who, who are, uh, you know, wild enough to get on a real bull. Cause you know, yep. to him, that's probably a man's man. But Well, that's, I think that that's, I think why that scene is so key, mm-hmm. uh, to the movie. Yeah, uh, is because yeah, he, you know he he understands that you know that's everything that at least from this distance, uh, Bud wants to be. Yeah, and then the, the, if there is a stroke of genius in the movie, and the movie is flawed, I will totally admit that. But if there is a stroke of genius in the movie to me, it is that Bridges turns around, brings the Scott Glenn character into this mechanical bull world, and basically yeah. essentially emasculates Bud. In front of yeah. his wife and friends, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's almost like a cuckold type thing, and it's it's amazing to me how well that works. Like Bud is so petulant, so upset, and just about destroyed over this macho uh, mesh shirt wearing, very GGTMC by the way. If there is a oh, modern yeah. GGTMC cowboy, it is Scott Glenn in this movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, he is. I, li- I like the tip of the hat with the middle finger. It's a nice touch. The yep, uh, yep. did he, he just give me the finger? Did he just flip me the finger? I think he flipped me the finger. <laughs> he absolutely did. <laughs> There's a lot of fun Travolta impersonations you can do in this movie, but oh yeah, I think that's if there is a stroke of genius, I think it's that. I think that you know, essentially, Bud finds his calling and feels like he is this bona fide cowboy, and then Scott Glenn comes in, an actual cowboy, and basically yeah. uh, destroys any perceptions. That Bud has of himself, not a, not that Bud has of it, not that anybody else has a Bud, because I think they see him as exactly what he is—a guy that wants to be a cowboy. But I think, unfortunately for Bud, because he's young and immature, he has these high perceptions of himself, 
Yeah. yeah and yeah. and Glenn kind of just pisses all over him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, yeah, Bud is, you know, when he sees Wes, he's really impressed with him as a tough guy. But yeah. we, the audience, you know, we know nothing about him other than that he's a convict. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and like you said, yeah, the mechanical bull is really this obsession. Uh, so, so Bud can kind of prove his manhood, mm-hmm. uh, while he's having, you know, while he's having his, uh, his stuff knocked around a bit, his mm-hmm. manhood knocked around a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah. And when Wes shows up at, at Gillies, he, he immediately, uh, becomes a challenger for everything that Bud has, including Sissy. Uh, who, who, the, again, the first question is she asks, uh, Wes as if he's a real cowboy. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I really like that, uh, that Glenn plays him, you know, for the most part, uh, plays him, you know, kind of quietly with yep. a certain smugness that he's always been very good at. I think Scott Glenn has, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, Bud gets to, he, he gets, well, uh, he gets his masculinity challenge. Uh, he gets to make a total drunken asshole of himself. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, his masculinity gets challenged as ha- his level of maturity and his pride, uh, which I think is way more what's going on, uh, is what's kind of really being challenged, um, it, or is being uh, pushed in order for him to for in order for his character to kind of to move uh, upward, uh, move on. Um, I gotta say, Tra- he lets- Travolta's drunk acting is pretty good too. Uh, it's not bad. It's it's not, a, he actually does an okay job. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not an easy thing to do. But he's got kind of this no. glazed look. This kind yeah. of glazed, kind of half. Kind of. Oh, but that's John Travolta in a nutshell, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I don't know if I'd ever consider him a great actor, but he's certainly a great movie star. Um, yeah. Well, he's got. He's yeah. He's a star more yeah, than he's a, an yeah, actor. Although, yeah. although you know, I, he he does. Yeah. He's got the charm. He's got the magnetism. He's more of a star than anything else. Yeah. Right? I mean, because he because he's essentially John Travolta in every movie he's in, in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of Tom Cruise and actors like that. I mean, they just have star. Yep. They have star power, and it's yep, un, yep. it's kind of unexplainable, but they just have it. The camera loves them. You just you, it is what it is, and. That's Travolta to me. I mean, he's he's always good, but he's also always Travolta. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he does. Uh, but you know, Bud lets this uh, these emotions uh, follow him to work, and that doesn't really turn out well for him. No, um, in a big way. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, leaves him, uh, leaves him it, hanging. Leaves him hanging for lack of a better word. Sissy. Uh, so <laughs> Sissy runs off to Gillies uh, in the middle of the day because she, partly because she wants to ride the bull, but also partly because you get the feeling she wants to ride Wes's bull uh, yeah. as well. It's amazing. Got, looking at it now as a 47-year-old male, it's amazing. She cheats on him with the mechanical bull, uh, yeah. which again yeah, yeah. Well, that's, is a focus of his obsession. So it's, yeah. it's, it's just dirty. Yeah, well, yeah. When Bud when Bud challenges her uh, to ride the bull and crank it up, it turns into this three way uh, of people being jerks. Uh, and at first, you would think that you would think that uh, Wes is the most mature of the bunch, having been in prison in that, and he's certainly more mature than Bud. But I, I think that he's also definitely not above being this little mischievous uh, sort of uh, prick character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's you know he's really not. Uh, as mature, uh, and he's certainly not as um, uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Nice a guy, really, uh, as you might be led to believe by yeah. his uh, his cool exterior. Yeah, it's um, funny. All all Bud has to do is accept that Deborah Winger's pretty cool on a mechanical bull, and life would probably go on like normal for Bud. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but Bud can't do that. He, nope. Uh, he, he will not let that go. He will not let it go. <laughs> he is going to prove his point. And it's like it's it's a lesson in stupidity and immaturity. Yeah. And it, yeah, uh, yeah. it really is an interesting – I mean, it's – I think one of the reasons why I like this film, I think in some ways, is it's it's a starring role, but it's again some of that '70s cinema kind of bleeding into the '80s, and that our lead is again he's not he's not incredibly likable. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So where was I? Okay, there was. So I think that I mean, like I said before, Bridges I think does show a nice visual style. Some of the shots in the film I found truly impressive. Yeah. The film also does a very good job of feeling I think lived in and capturing the the ambiance of the locations where it was shot. There is also a lot of country music so if you're a fan you'll find a lot of that here to enjoy if you're not a fan of country music you will be cringing a lot through the movie uh yeah um, potentially yes oh yeah uh everybody practically makes out on the dance floor at one point um which also leads to one of the more dicey lines in the film uh it's when um uh, well i won't say it but uh if i heard it right uh it was yeah it was kind of a little sketchy uh that line of dialogue was hmm. having uh with bud asking pam uh, a certain question but uh pam who of course shows up and is the uh the challenger to sissy uh but this is also <laughs> this this is the dividing line in the movie you know pam is this you know quote unquote rich bitch uh playing at cowgirl uh same as wes is not a real cowboy yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least not as this film sees them uh, going back to you know what I was saying about their earnestness, their authenticity, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of what they can do physically, yes. In terms of what they are at heart, no. Uh, and I think that it's Bud and Sissy's time apart with these other two that makes them realize they're meant for each other uh, because they are, like I said, authentic. Uh, all you have to do is kind of look at the difference uh, between Gillies and the less you know cowboy sort of bar that Pam frequents uh, to kind of get the feeling. Of uh, of where these folks belong. Um, well, kind of again, that comparison to Saturday Night Fever is very prevalent in that in, oh, the, is, in the females. Yeah. You got the yeah, one yeah, that's yeah. kind of a regular, the Deborah Winger character, and then you got the one that comes from the city, yep. uh, or comes from the the high class or the high end or the even just you could just say financially established um, sure. era of uh, uh, area of Houston, and comes in and she just wants a cowboy. Yeah, uh, because yeah, yeah. She's she got, wants one because they're chic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, uh, if you remember Saturday Night Fever, obviously he kind of he's got two women in that too. One who fawns for him, and one he fawns yep. for. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get uh, you get some that worm eating shot. Uh, which man, now that I think about it, I don't remember at all, <laughs> but apparently it's in there. Yeah. Uh, you get, uh, you get a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. Yeah. And you get, uh, I think for most people, how about that though? So many dollies <laughs> lined up on that stage. Uh, and then you have, I think what's most memorable for a lot of people is that Deborah Winger fucking the mechanical bull scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's a very memorable scene. It's, uh, one yeah, of those moments yeah, yeah. and she does, she does uh, a hell of a job. Oh yeah, she does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll give her that. Uh, so, uh, I think that a lot of what you're going to get out of this film relies on how much you like John Travolta 
because he's surrounded here by clearly. Can you hear the dog? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, because yeah. <laughs> he's he's surrounded by clearly better actors, or at least better suited actors. Uh, like I said before, you know about the him kind of slipping in and out of the Barbarino sort of thing. Um, and again, it's not that I don't like Travolta or think that he's untalented, but you know he does have that certain personality type. He has a certain knack uh, for insolence and tantrums, mm-hmm. uh, and you can always feel his Travolta ness when he's on screen. Um, so he, I mean, like I said, he, he's magnetic in that way. He draws your yeah. attention, yeah. uh, at all times uh, and, and not necessarily for the betterment of the movie, uh, on the whole. Uh, but certainly, you know, when people think of urban cowboy, they usually don't think of Deborah Winger or, or Scott Glenn necessarily. They think of Josh Walter first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. Uh, I think that the film is easily, uh, a good 30 to 45 minutes too long. Mm. Uh, but I also think that those extra minutes don't really feel like they're adding much to the, to the the story. Like there's a very dramatic thing that happens just before the finale that just doesn't seem to add much of anything, in my opinion, other than be something dramatic. Uh, and ostensibly, it's kind of there to just give uh, the winger character a reason to come crawling back. Yeah. Um, well, it also gives us, it also gives us some kind of comeuppance with the bud character too who's again not a likable person sure 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 uh and likewise the end you know suddenly chucks in some action aside from the the uh the rodeo yeah uh seemingly just to have some action yeah um yeah, and very, i don't know that that's odd. you know yeah, yeah it, it just doesn't seem to it, it seems at odds with the rest of the 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 picture doesn't mean yeah um, i mean it's 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 like a moment of danger that yeah you know, unless you're a female character in the story, there's no real danger. Well, I guess I guess there are some fistfights, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a moment of amped up danger that kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. but I think like again, yeah, I think it's supposed to give us. I think we're supposed to walk away from that with, okay, well he's not that bad a guy. You know, he did this. Did he hit you? That some bitch. <laughs> I'm gonna kill that some bitch. <laughs> Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um. Uh, so yeah. Uh. But I mean, yeah. So the film is is far from perfect. Uh. And I I think that I, well, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that you like it much more than I do. Uh. And fair play on that. I yeah. Mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I also suspect that you may harbor some feelings for Jesse Larive. Uh, in the film, who plays uh, Jesse, the same as Tony Dan's always played someone named Tony. Uh, but uh, yeah, she's a, she's the the winger's girl pal uh, character uh, in there, uh, and she has a very unique look to her. Uh, she does, and I am a fan. You, you, uh, you have this correct. <laughs> the more we get to know each other, the you know the closer we get. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Man, I got your number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do have a uh, do have a do have a thing for certain things? Yes. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, we all do. We all have our our proclivities. Yes. Uh, and uh, although I do got to say, you know, Deborah Winger in a cowboy hat, uh, she does. She's she, all right. She does something for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's cute in this uh, movie. I don't I, I don't know if sexy's the word, but cute. Sh- is alluring. Yeah. yeah. There's something about her here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and those are the notes that I got on this. So. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, revisiting this, I hadn't seen this in, geez, it's been a long time. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And uh, 
I think, you know, I thought I liked this movie more than, you know, looking at it with a critical eye, I can certainly see its its issues. Uh, uh, it is overlong, I agree. Uh, not because it's two hours and 15 minutes, but because it's just flat overlong. It, there's a lot of kind of uh, extra stuff in here that doesn't really kind of keep the story moving. Like there's, right. even though there's a scene that I really enjoy where he's driving through town and he sees her working on a tow truck and he waves to her. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're yeah. friendly and she gives him the finger and he gives a triumphant middle finger back. I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of the better middle fingers in cinema history. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of pointless to the story. Um, it's a little moments like that. There's a lot of those. Uh, that are, you know, take it or leave it. They either add or don't add to the story, and I don't think they're necessary. Um, right. But they're kind of interesting in that way. Uh, I found it kind of, you know, I like the story because I think, you know, all of us when we're young, we're trying to find ourselves. You know, I didn't find myself in a country bar. I didn't find myself in any bars, really. I kind of found myself kind of by accident. And I think everybody kind of, has their own way of doing it, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, But Travolta's had this career where he's kind of found himself in these movies where he's playing this young up-and-comer character who's trying to establish himself, and it just so happens nightclubs. uh, Mm -hmm. Two of his bigger films have have been a prevalent part of that. Now, James Bridges, he didn't live very long. He died young. Uh, He was only 57 when he passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. He looked older than that. I don't know what he passed away from. I don't know if it was a... some type of disease or a heart attack or or cancer or something like that. I don't know, but uh, he's an interesting filmmaker. You know, he made the uh, China was it China Syndrome? Was that he made China that? Syndrome? Yeah, and he made um, a couple other things that were pretty good. Um, uh, he ended up working with Travolta again in kind of the infamous uh, Perfect movie, which I just popped my pee there in the micro good, but <laughs> but uh, he he worked with uh, Travolta again in that, which was kind of an infamous flop. Um, although I am a fan of it because it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but he made, you know, he made the uh, the paper chase as well before this. And uh, Bright Lights Big City was the last thing he did. Uh, that was the uh, Michael J. Fox movie. The Michael J. Fox, yeah. yeah. Which is a pretty good movie. So he, he was a good filmmaker. He also wrote Colossus the Forbin Project. How about that? Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. Um, he was a good filmmaker. I, th- I think that really... In some ways, he was just kind of finding himself as he was going along. Because, you know, 79, he makes the China Syndrome. And by, you know, 93, he's dead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's only 14 years. I mean, that, that seems like a lot. But <laughs> as you and I know, as you, the older you get, 14 years isn't very long at all. <laughs> um, in Hollywood, it might be, unfortunately. But in, in real life, it's not very long. So, I think there was probably some uh, more films to come from James Bridges. But I guess, obviously, some things went down. And, uh, you know, there's only uh, eight years between this film and his last film. So he he didn't he just didn't make a whole lot of stuff. Uh, I agree with you. The film is competently shot, competently made, if overlong. Um, there's a lot of drama for drama's sake, uh, I think, in some of the stuff. There may be one too many visits to the Gillies. Uh, yeah, at yeah, least yeah. well, it, it spends a lot of time. Yeah, there. and I think that's okay. I think it just, I don't know. They keep going back sometimes, and I just don't feel like anything's getting resolved or anything's really happening there. Uh, it just kind of becomes like this place where everybody hangs out. So you kind of go to work, and then you go home, and then you go to Gillies. You want to go Gillies tonight? 
Uh, Sissy, you, know. you want to go to Gillies? <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like the peach pit of yeah. the uh, of Urban Cowboy. Yeah, um, I think that <laughs> yeah, I think the winger and Travolta really are the kind of core to this movie. Her more so maybe than him, but uh, mm. certainly this kind of young married couple uh, immaturity thing because both of them are immature. Uh, Bud is clearly more immature and dangerous. I mean, this is a guy who hits women, so he's not exactly perfect. Uh, he's he's got some he's got some bad uh, there's some badness to him some awfulness to him um, that kind of comes with immaturity but she's also quite uh, a button pusher in some ways I think because she realizes she's gotten herself into something that she doesn't know how to how to deal with um, it's odd that I noticed in the movie this time around that they never really push she never really pushes to have children they never really push to do that I don't, I don't, I don't even think it's ever even talked about. Like it's that <laughs> early in the marriage, yeah. It's that early in the marriage. Like they don't even talk about having children, uh, which is not uncommon. But uh, in 1980, I would think it would have been more uncommon for people to get married and not have children pretty quickly. Um, tends to be, I mean, even now, tends to be a pretty common occurrence. Uh, a lot of people don't get. I mean, I know I, I I'm kind of different. I got married and didn't have children for I don't know ten years, but that's not everybody. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn, believe it or not, Scott Glenn, who's got this great face uh, made for westerns and made for tough guy movies, he doesn't play heavies very often. And that that's kind of surprising when you think about some of the movies he's done. He's he's played a few, don't get me wrong, and they've been memorable. Mm-hmm. But he is definitely the definition of stoic- stoicism. Is that a word? I think it is. Yep. Yes, it is. He... Uh, he <laughs> He's one of them old school actors, man, who just has to show up on screen and just kind of grind his jaw. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it, it helps that he's, he's got skin like a fucking catcher's mitt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And he likes to show it in this. That arrogance that he shows, <laughs> that arrogance that he shows when she comes home, when Deborah Winger comes home that time, and he's got that uh, other bar lady in his uh, closet or shower or wherever she's doing. The arrogance on his face is pretty amazing. It's it's like what a prick. But mm-hmm. but this is a this is an awful character. This is a ex-con um who clearly has no redemptive value and uh he doesn't make any secrets of it. He's got enough charm to charm uh Deborah Winger's character, but it's also that danger I think she's attracted to and that real cowboy. Yeah, he's got a lot, he's got a lot of swagger. Yeah. Uh, that that women are drawn to uh until they kind of dig underneath. Yeah. And I think really that's the underlying theme of this whole movie is masculinity. I mean, this movie's oh, yeah. Yeah, all yeah, about yeah. masculinity. Uh, it doesn't really care too much, even though Deborah Winger is very central to the story. It doesn't really care about her plight so much as it cares about Bud's. And uh, that's something that I came away from this from really kind of uh, realizing this time that it, it really is a man story. Like, I don't see any... I don't know, unless you're a female and you're uh, terribly attracted to John Travolta, which is quite possible. He's a good-looking gentleman, uh, especially in this era. Um, and he was very popular with girls when I was growing up, uh, young girls, especially kind of pre-teen, right around adolescence age. They, they, you know, He was still quite popular with those girls. Uh, but mostly the generation before us, he was like, you know, Tiger Beat hot, you know, like Vinnie Barbarino was, was a thing, right? Oh yeah, and people loved him, uh, especially the young girls. And uh, you know, you can see why because uh, Travolta's got a charisma 
that uh, just, you know, he's got a very likable face, a certain type of charisma that's kind of unexplainable. And uh, this is what it is. And uh, I think that, you know, if you're a female and you watch this movie now, you probably think, wow, this movie's, you know, unless you're into Travolta, I just don't think you're going to, you know, get a lot out of it because I think it's, I think Deborah Winger's really good in the movie. I think she's, her story, it's got a pretty nice kind of narrative circle to it, but at the same time, it's a weird thing because she kind of feels like filler in some ways. And yeah, it's yeah, a, it's yeah. kind of an odd thing because she comes across really strong in the movie, but at the same time, she comes across really weak in the movie. So it's 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 a weird thing. But I really did enjoy her performance in the movie, I got to say, going back and looking at this. I knew I'd like Travolta because I, I have a soft spot for John Travolta. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I watched The Fanatic. And, uh, you know, I do have a soft spot for him. I, I think he's an interesting actor. I think he's at times both completely uh, engrossing and other times completely not in the right movie. <laughs> and for some reason that works for me sometimes uh, because he's just kind of so odd in, in, a, in a weird way sometimes. But, um, you know, I do have a, uh, you know, I, the people around him, uh, I agree. Mostly acting. We should mention uh, was it James Gammons again? That actor. I think the uh, the kind of ho- the guy that owns the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in the uh, beginning of Silver Bullet. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got his head tore off in the beginning of Silver Bullet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. he's a he's a very famous character actor too. He's one of those actors that if you see him, most you, folks would know him from Major League. Yeah, yeah. You may look like Maze, but you hit like shit. Like shit. Yep. <laughs> Get under the fucking ball. Yeah, yeah. He's got a great voice and uh, and a great look, and he he usually has a mustache and things like that. But uh, yeah, he's he, he's a lot of fun in the movie, and and like and Barry Corbin's really good. I mean, it's a small role for Barry Corbin, but he's really good as this kind of you know he he really plays the uncle well, almost like the Gary Busey esque type uncle, in that he. He cares about Bud, but he kind of pushes Bud into, like, you know, the first night in town, he takes Bud to Gillies. Yep. Like, hey, Mickey Gilly up there on stage there, Bud. <laughs> my Barry Corbin impersonation. Nice. Um, but, yeah, he, he's he's a lot of fun in the movie, I think, and he's a he's a favorite character actor of mine. I mean, he's he's always good. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. He, I mean, he just he really is good, especially when he plays a some type of uh, kind of Texas either – either some type of Texas elite or some type of Texas backwood character. I mean, he, he really nails those uh, characters completely, but, uh, he's kind of fun, but yeah, man, uh, the music's also memorable in the movie. Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, again, I didn't grow up loving country music, but it was around me. Um, yeah. well, it was a, around everywhere. Yeah. And you, you do get the devil went down to Georgia from yeah. Charlie Daniels, yeah. band, so. which was a big deal as a kid because he said, son, oh, yeah. of, a, son of a bitch. You know, because he said that, uh, you know, I got to listen to it. Yeah, there was uh, that time in my age, and I tease my my wife about this because my son's reaching that age where he's trying to push the boundaries with songs with cuss words in them. She's like, I don't know where he gets that. I'm like, well, uh, that's pretty much all boys because I like to play guitar by the John Cougar Mellencamp as well. And I'm thinking it says macho shit. So uh, forget all about that macho shit and learn how to play guitar. But you know, I mean, I was allowed to listen to that stuff, so I thought I was a big, you know, I thought it was a big deal. I got to listen to songs, cuss words, man. Nobody else got to listen to that shit. Mm. So, Devil Went Down Georgia was a big one for me as a kid. Plus, one of the things country music does very well is tell stories, 
And and uh, it's a kind of a narrative song form, more so than uh, some other song forms. Certainly more so than pop. But uh, probably it's it's really weird because the dichotomy between country music and, and uh, power metal couldn't be more different. But mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, the narrative of those two forms of music is very similar. Um, uh, I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then telling stories and stuff, although one is more kind of, you know, dragons and magicians and sorcery and things and fantasy, whereas the other is more, hey, my old lady stepped out on me last night, let's get drunk. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not simplifying it, I'm just kind of going with the cliches here. Because uh, I don't have any problem with country music. I I love all forms of music. and uh, You know, I'm probably one of the most open-minded people you'll ever meet music-wise. But um, I remember the music from this film, especially Looking for Love. That song was huge when I was a kid. I mean, everywhere. It was, man. Well, Eddie Murphy even uh, did it as Buckwheat. Yeah, that's so. right. Wookin' Penub. That's right. Wookin' Penub in all the wrong places. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, you couldn't escape that song. And uh, I don't. Uh, Johnny Lee is a very uh, interesting country star with his hairy shoulders. Uh, <laughs> you see him in this movie here, and it's like, whoa! You need to trim those. <laughs> yeah, you might want to invest in the Clippers. But no, I had a good time with it. But I got to say, going back and revisiting it, it is not uh, as entertaining as I recall it being. It has some really good moments, and some really good scenes, and some solid acting. But it is, uh, I agree with you, it is overlong, and uh, it does hurt the film in some ways. But I'll kick it back over to you for MVT's Make or Breaks. All righty. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Travolta. Uh, I think that you either like this movie or don't, depending on if you like or don't like Travolta, because he's in pretty much every scene. Uh, and you definitely can see why he was so popular and that he was okay with trying to stretch his legs a little bit, uh, though you could also argue that this film could basically have been called, uh, like we kind of said from the beginning, Saturday Cowboy Fever. Yeah. Um, Saturday so Night you, Cowboys. I mean, that's definitely in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, make or break, I'm going to go with the scene at the rodeo when Bud first sees Wes. Uh, like I said before, I mean, this is where everything kind of clicks into place uh, for the rest of the story to unfold. Um, in my opinion, uh, and it's kind of central to uh, to the the story of the movie. So, uh, score for me is six point five out of ten. Um, yeah, I, I like this thing. Definitely don't love it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'll even go out so far as to admit that uh, yes, it's partly because of the way that uh, Travolta pronounces <laughs> Winger's character's name. Uh, but you know, hey, what are you gonna do? Don't be a, um, don't be a sissy, Todd. Go. Oh, sissy, come on. <laughs> Up your nose with a rubber hose. Uh, twice as far with a candy bar. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, I didn't expect that comeback, did you? No, I did not. Uh, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> gotta be, that's all I got. You got to be a real fan to know that one. Yeah, right? You got <laughs> I had Welcome Back Cotter sneakers yeah. uh, I, as a kid. So. I, had a, I had a Welcome Back Cotter lunchbox. <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> kick it over to you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I'm not too far removed from you, believe it or not. Except maybe score wise, but not even then. Not as far as you might think. Uh, my MVT though, uh, I'm gonna go a little different. I'm gonna go Winger on this one. Um, All right. I don't know how often I'd be able to give it to Deborah Winger, but she's really good in this movie. As this kind of, and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but kind of soppy kind of female right. lead. Uh, right, right. She really just seems like a damaged character. You never even really get a sense that she has a job or any purpose 
in some weird way. Yeah. And uh, and some, somehow that works for me. I mean, you get that sense, I guess, at the tow truck scene. But, I mean, it's one little brief moment. <laughs> so, I don't know. She never really talks about any aspirations or anything other than wrangling her a cowboy. Uh, which, again, for, you know, Houston at the time and everything else, that might have been the that might have been all it took. I mean, girls, you know, there might have been women teaching their daughters, hey, get you a real man, get you a cowboy, and you'll be fine. He'll yeah, take care yeah. of you. He'll buy some land. You'll get some cows and some sheep, and life will be good. Get you some babies yep, running around. Simple. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's still a there's still a big chunk of uh, country population. I know from being from living in a southern state that there's still a lot of that that's still taught to this day. You know, find you a guy with a good job, a good career, and maybe make some babies and chill out. Uh, it's still a mm-hmm. it's still a way of thinking. Um, my make or break scene. I'm going to go with what I call the cuckold scene. If Will was here, he'd love that because because he he thinks I have a fascination <laughs> with cuckolds. But I think that it does. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's not really my thing, but it's funny. It does come up quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Well, he likes prostitutes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cuckold, cuckolded prostitution. In cinema, is, in cinema. Yeah, I yeah. Should say. Yeah, and I like it in cinema too. The cuckold, I guess, but the. Uh, the, the, the emasculation though, I do enjoy when male characters are put upon, uh, because I think the male ego is a fascinating thing. The kind of dominance, uh, of the male ego, uh, across all cultures is interesting. So I like it when it kind of gets, uh, well, for lack of a better word, when it kind of gets shit on a little bit, because I think it's, I think it's all, it's all macho bullshit anyway. Right. It really doesn't mean anything. And don't get me wrong, I love macho bullshit. That's part of the reason why we do the show. Uh, you know, I'm looking at an ad for The Great Escape right now. I mean, macho, it's macho. You know, I, I like macho stuff. But at the same time, I like it when that's taken down a peg. I think it leads to really nice drama and stuff. So I really like that scene. I like that scene quite a bit. It's, it's a mechanical bull scene. It's the, uh, you know, you, you guys will know what scene when you see the movie. Trust me. Uh, Travolta's acting in that scene is amazing. I mean, his face acting, the jealousy, the rage, <laughs> the uh, limp dickness of that moment is uh, amazing to me. <laughs> uh huh. He does that. He does that really well, man. Throughout his career, he has always done that anger without showing that that wide eyed kind of closed mouth anger. He does that really well. Uh, well, he does a pout like uh, it's nobody's business. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. Um, my score for the film is a little bit higher than yours. Uh, I do have an affection for it. Obviously, seen it uh, more than a handful of times in my lifetime. Probably more than I probably should have, and probably saw it when I was younger than I should have. But I go seven point five out of ten. Uh, it's right. a good movie, but it's certainly a flawed movie in a lot of ways. And I think my general affection for it really kind of comes down to a little bit of nostalgia, no doubt. And you know, the coming of age story. I, I do have a kind of a soft spot for that that thing. Um, and I do have a soft spot for John Travolta, it should be said, but I also really enjoy Scott Glenn in this movie. I mean, he's, he's an awful human being and I think he does a pretty awesome job of being dangerous without saying too much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you feel, you definitely feel it from me as that quality. Yeah. And he, he's really good at that. He's really good at that. I mean, like I said, he is a stoic actor. And he's got a certain look, and I've always enjoyed Scott Glenn, just about everything he does. He's like always a welcome, mm-hmm. you know, he's always welcome when he uh, shows up in a movie for me. But uh, in this one, he kind of comes across as this greasy, nasty, uh, redneck cowboy, and it works. It just works. 
and he's 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 a he's a dirtbag, and uh, oh yeah, he doesn't have to do a whole lot to prove it. <laughs> What's yep, funny yep. is even the James Cameron's character, even he's like he sees him and he's like, oh shit, this guy got out, <laughs> but he gives him a job anyway. Yeah, but he, he yeah, but he buddies up to him pretty uh, pretty quick. Yeah, well, I mean, he's good muscle, right? I mean, he's dangerous. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, all right, so that's our thoughts on Urban Cowboy. Uh, just got a Blu-ray release. By the way, I want to say, just for the Blu-ray view aspect of it, don't pay too much for that Blu-ray if you want to own it on Blue, on, uh, Blue because it's it's okay, um, but it has really no special features on it much whatsoever. And it's on Amazon Prime, this movie, so if you want to watch it, you're probably getting the same print there. So I would just uh, watch it there if you need to. Uh, it's a shame it doesn't have anything. I wanted it for my collection because it's an important film uh, for me growing up. I tend to buy films that were important to me growing up. Like I'm still waiting for that Criterion edition of uh, Robert Altman's Popeye. But uh, <laughs> go back to the poop deck, pe- pe- peppy, peppy talk we had earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what squinty eye? What squinty eye? Uh, here. Uh, we'll have to review that at some point. Because he's large. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I don't know why I love that movie, but I do. Um, one of the things that, about that that always, dude, the, the songs in it are so flat. Uh, it's almost like intentionally flat and it's, it's a weird movie. Just blunt. It's yeah. a it's a very strange movie, and uh, you know I've watched it since, and it kind of comes off as Burton esque in some weird ways too. It's very interesting. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, when I review in Popeye, we'll talk about that another time. I imagine we will at some point. But um, yeah, man, seven point five. Uh, you know, Blu-ray purchase at your own risk. If you like the movie, you can't go wrong, though. Uh, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Gwendolyn in the land of the Yik Yak. (laughs) We shall return. Here I go again, didn't you? <laughs> I was kind of thinking that's where you were going, yeah. Yeah, that's the more prevalent Tony Katain video, but uh, if I have my choice, I'll go with Still of the Night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sick riff, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's a snapping, a snapping uh, rock and roll tune there. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, uh, a Zeppelin-esque-ness uh, 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 of that song is unbelievable. But, uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, I've always enjoyed that song a lot more than the uh, than the uh, ballads. But, you know, 
Whatever. I'm more of a slow and easy guy, which I think we did. Uh, me and you. I think I played that song when me and you were on the one uh, doing the show there for a while too. I might have played that song. Maybe White Snake is our is our common bond, and we don't even know it. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I think they're might be our uh, our. Uh, oh God, who was the guy who played? Oh shit. Uh, the the guy the bar the bar band in Roadhouse. Uh, Jay. Oh. Um, uh, Jeff uh, Healy. Jeff Healy, yeah, yeah they're Jeff. our Jeff Healy band. Yeah, yeah there we go. And it's still night, I hear the wolf out, honey. All right, I had to get that out of my system. So. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Uh, yeah, Coverdale fucking ruined her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she's she wrecked a, it. She's. Uh, I don't know if he. I don't know if it was just him, but she's. Uh, she's done a pretty good job of wrecking the things herself as well. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, yeah. uh she's a wild one, uh, no doubt. I, I think she's been arrested for domestic abuse. Um, really? Yeah. So she's uh she's had some issues over the years, and we're talking about Tawny Katane here. Uh, Gwendolyn, a runaway nun, uh, arrives in Hong Kong on a mission to find her father, who was last seen in the legendary land of the Yik Yak, searching for <laughs> a rare butterfly. So this is uh, 1984. It's called Gwendolyn, uh, but also known as Gwendolyn in the land of the Yik Yak. Uh, this is kind of based on a John Willie uh, comic strip uh, yep. from uh, way back in the, I'm going to say, 40s, 50s era. Uh, it was 1947. Uh, okay, the comic strip, yeah, John Willie, uh, which was actually a pseudonym for a, a guy by the name of John Coates. Um, 1947, he started a fetish magazine uh, called Bizarre. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where he started uh, publishing. That's where he started doing the uh, the the comic strip. So uh, the key thing there, as Todd mentioned, is uh, fetish because this fetish. film, yeah, this film is uh, kind of playing on the fetish. Now the Gwendolyn character was kind of known as a kind of damsel in distress who always yeah. kind of got well, herself. Well, that's that's kind of her main purpose. Yeah, yeah. kind of always got herself. Basically, he's taken the the damsel in distress character that's in films and stories. And kind of making her a central focus, but she's still a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird take, but it gives uh, it gave Willie a chance to uh, kind of be uh, kind of, to kind of fetishize uh, the female form uh, in a distressing way. And then obviously, there's again we use the word fetish fetishize uh, fetichini. Um, I had fetichini last night actually. Uh, we use that word, nice. yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, yeah, the fetishization of the female form is very important uh, in the comic strip, but it's also very important to this movie because that's essentially a lot of what this movie's about. Even though I would argue there's quite a bit of fetishization about the, about the male character as well, and, the, and there was in the comics as well. Um, and comic books in general are pretty much a fetish landmine for male anatomy. <laughs> uh, no. When you think about it. Not just female anatomy, but... Uh, you know, we tend to overlook the male anatomy part of it, but it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fetishes going on there. Uh, this one stars Tony Katane, Brent Huff, Zabu Blitman. I like Zabu, by uh, the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty big, pretty big fan of Zabu. Uh, there's a few other folks in here. Uh, Jean Rogeli. Uh, there's some other French actors. I think the key with this one is. So Todd mentioned it last week, and I didn't mention who directed this yet, but just jacking. Uh, 
<laughs> or just or just Jaken or Josh or Justiaken or, or whatever. Yeah. He's French, I believe. Uh, known as the director of Emmanuel, uh, the original mm-hmm. Emmanuel, uh, which is an interesting film. It's not exactly the Emmanuel films you think. The first one. And then, uh, you know, also the story of O and I believe uh, Lady Chatterley. Uh, he did that one as well. So kind of a soft core um, filmmaker, uh, visually kind of competent and uh, stuff like that. But uh, narratively, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit here uh, and kind of getting into this. So this film kind of opens with, uh, uh, well, you don't really know what's going on, but then all of a sudden they turn over a crate and find a sweaty, uh, disheveled Tawny Katane. And that might be enough for just about anybody right there. Like, you know, you, that might be enough for you to tune in right there. Uh, Tawny Katane is one of those actresses to me who is all about the sexuality. Uh, yeah. very little about the acting. Uh, yeah. well, I, I only ever got, I only ever half got, uh, her appeal. Yeah. Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, she. I is, mean, in in this movie, I think it's a lot more prevalent than what most of us were first exposed to her as, mm-hmm. which will, obviously would be you know White Snake. Yeah, so. I will fully admit that uh, she has got one hell of a body on her. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, she is mm-hmm. not, for me personally, the most attractive lady, uh, but there is a sense of sexuality about her that's kind of undeniable. Uh, her kind of her kind of longing face the kind of face that like she wants something like she well for lack of a better word her kind of horny look it is it is is appealing i'm not gonna lie and uh it kind of works and i and i look obviously i like the white snake videos i'm not gonna lie i like uh witchboard i like a few other things she's done um she's uh yeah she is what she is but a big time actress i don't think she is any of that um, she fits the bill here as the Gwendolyn character, but I do think in a weird way, Zabu uh, Brightman as the Beth character is kind of more interesting in some ways, uh, even though she's a bit wayfish and a bit of a limp noodle. Uh, I kind of enjoyed her quite a bit more. I think also, as you know, I am attracted to, uh, females and on film and, and, and photos and stuff for a little bit more off the beaten path for as far as beauty goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find the Zabu Brightman uh, look much more interesting in a weird way. So, again, this movie kind of opens up. We find her disheveled uh, Tawny Katane. They're going to sell her basically into slavery. Um, kind of move on from there. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy that that's the way this film starts. Now, this movie is a really weird, uh, I want to say yik-yak, but it's a mishmash, which is kind of <laughs> the same thing, the land of the mishmash. But it is a weird kind of, I don't know, bastard child in a lot of ways of like a, an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, it is. It is that. Yeah. Um, that ahead. being said, I, okay, I think that uh, it's also very much in the tradition of stuff like uh, Roger Verdeem's Barbarella or even uh, yeah. Corrado Farina's Baba Yaga. Yeah. Um, because we have this, you know, this little film based on these sort of pulp comic book traditions that, mm-hmm. you know, harken back to early serials, uh, but they also feature like a hot tamale actress in the lead. Yeah. Um, also, so I, I danger, think that you get a lot of that in there. Yeah, Danger Diabolic. It reminds me of that a little yeah, bit too. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's a little bit of that in there as well. So there's kind of like this, you know, these handful of films you can think of 
even Flash Gordon in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these kind totally. of films that are uh, kind of loaded with sexuality. Because I think uh, Flash Gordon too. I think that the 1980 Flash Gordon that that one's loaded with sexuality as well, right? Oh, uh, big time! Or uh, Alan Moody? Yeah. Oh, forget about it. Oh man. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, Barbarella's loaded with sexuality. Uh, Danger Diabolics loaded with sexuality. Uh, these films. Yeah, yeah. Now, this one gives you a little bit more skin than those. Uh, Bobby Yager yes. gives you a little bit, um, but. Uh, I, oddly, in a weird way, I don't find this film incredibly sexy. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of so no, odd. it's very innocent. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of so even though, odd. Even though it's kinky. Yeah, it's got a weird tone to it, almost like a child's yeah. film with boobs in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And totally, it's, it's a really weird creation, and you can totally see why it's become a cult film because it is this kind of you know, except for boobs. It's essentially kind of a kid's fantasy, kind of a super, not a superhero, but kind of a, you know, an Indiana Jones kind of hero fantasy in some ways with a female character uh, outside of the thongs and the, you know, the orgies and the uh, the fighting to have sex with a character and, <laughs> and all these. Now, I know that sounds weird to say, but you got to see it to kind of know what we're talking about. Well, it's, I think that it's primarily, yeah, I mean, despite the more kinky aspects, it's, it's light adventure, you know, it, it succeeds, I think well enough at keeping um the pacing and the action up and i think that's kind of where where that comes from is because it is really it is really hearkening to yeah raiders i mean that's the big yeah that's the big cinematic uh maybe more temple thing Doom, going really on. in some ways yeah 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 it's, well it's, i mean yeah yeah i don't know what i can't remember what year off the top of my head temple of doom came out but i mean it's right around this time three yeah, it's right around this time, and this has got a really strong Temple of Doom vibe to it because you know you got your characters starting out in one, you know, in some type of Hong Kong type area, and then kind of somehow ending up in a desert and a jungle, and then you know in some type of labyrinthine castle or complex of some sort, yeah, and then yeah. a bunch of craziness going on. And when you think about Temple of Doom, there's a bunch of craziness going on. In Temple of Doom, again, it's, uh, I think I brought it up last week or the week before. It's kind of amazing what they got away with in uh, Temple of Doom. And it's why I've kind of always had a soft spot for that Jones film in particular because I kind of felt like I was crossing over at the time into more mm -hmm. adult film fare. And mm -hmm. I remember being really kind of, uh, in you know, really appealed to me that, you know, eating uh, monkey brains and uh, the hand in the chest and just the overall kind of blood and the kind of fetishistic kind of horror that Indy goes through in Temple of Doom. Because if you think about it, it's very much a whips and chains kind of movie. And mm -hmm. it's it's very interesting. Um, but this film, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird kind of creation in that, you know, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, man, am I watching a kid's movie? But I'm not. I'm watching a, a grown-up movie, uh, for lack of a better word. But uh, it has this kind of really weird, as you said, to kind of put it, this innocence to it. It kind of almost reminds me of kind of like the first time you see like a Betty Page photo or uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. That kind of early adolescence where you're starting to recognize. You, you, you suddenly you suddenly feel a tingling you did yeah. not know yeah. you could feel before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the bondage Betty Page photos that came out later. I'm talking about the early pinup kind of cheesecake photos mm -hmm. that uh, she originally established herself with. But it's certainly, you know, in that era anyway. 
uh, with the uh, John Willie comic and stuff like that. And there was a lot of this type of females in peril type of fetish stuff out there. Um, very interesting. I also remember uh, Betty Page, a lot of those photos shot by Harold Lloyd. Remember that? that, that, that uh, he shot some of the Betty Page stuff. Isn't that cool? Huh. I always think it's interesting that uh, Harold Lloyd yeah. would go on to shoot kind of softcore porn. <laughs> yeah, what a career that guy had. Um, yeah, so this movie, it's its a weird thing. I'm going to go on record and say the, the most sexually enticing moment of this movie for me is when Brett Huff tries to make or manages to make them take their tops off in the rainforest in the jungle. For whatever reason, I found that incredibly hot. Uh, okay. And, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying, you know, I'm being forthright here. But it works sure. for me. It worked for me because she he managed to talk him into it with no problem whatsoever. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you, you bring that up because, you know, I think it has it has one of the more unusual love scenes in cinema when he's he talks the ladies towards orgasm yeah uh while they're tied up yeah so i i found that one kind of interesting yeah and brett huff is he's good in the movie um he's got this kind of chiseled jaw uh he's got a guy he's got a nice physical presence he's he's not the greatest actor but uh you know i've seen more than a handful of brent huff stuff and uh, he's pretty good in this as this kind of charming, kind of roguish, kind of Indiana Jones slash Han Solo. Basically, the, what Harrison Ford did for many years. This kind of roguish, um, uh, for lack of a better word, this kind of, I don't know, asshole with a heart of gold kind of character. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So, um how to put it uh he's he's uh he's not above being a, a total douchebag um you know despite it's sort of it's sort of like the sleaze right um he's our, he's our male lead but he's pretty far from being heroic you know he he is he's uh he's violent uh he's a sexual predator or even misogynistic uh he's a drug mule um and you know, I think that despite it, the wholesome-ish origins of the story, the serial's not necessarily bondage. Um, yeah, there is that. There's a level of sleaze that I think that that he kind of gets into with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that you know, he's the bad boy, right? And I think that because Gwen is uh, this sort of submissive character, uh, the damsel in distress constantly, uh, that's why she's attracted to him. Uh, because that's you know at heart she's submissive and yeah. he's he's the 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 embodiment of the bad boy. Yeah. Even though you know it's it, it is kind of hard to it is kind of hard to like him uh, because he is such a dirtbag. Yeah. And you're kind of sitting there scratching your head, being like, you know, why would anybody <laughs> be attracted to that yeah. outside of just physical uh, aspects? But, yeah. 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 You know. No, I get it. She I, does eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a weird kind of character creation. It's very strange, and it almost feels yeah. like something out of a Tin Tin comic sometimes too, but but more <laughs> yeah, adult. Yeah, yeah. Um, he even looks like a Tin Tin character with the kind of uh, the captain's hat and uh, yeah, you know kind yeah. of swashbuckling looking uh, type of attire he wears. Uh, the movie's kind of fun, but also kind of lost in a weird way. I. I I enjoyed it, but it certainly feels very 
claustrophobic for the first 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, it clearly well, it's very, shot it's on very sets. stage bound. Yeah, it's very much well. It's well, it's shot on sets uh, yeah. for about the first 20 or 30 minutes. And it, it, not in a bad way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the sets are pretty well done, uh, if overly crowded and stuff. But it, it feels very close. Like everything just feels very close and very immediate. And the fight scene is very silly. I think Brent Huff himself uh, choreographed the fight scene in the beginning. And it feels like that. It feels like a fight scene done by somebody who doesn't really maybe know how to do fight scenes. It's it's not bad. Uh, don't get me wrong. The violence is, is pretty good. It's there. Um, it's not uh, overly done. But again, it's one of those things where it almost feels like a strange... <sighs> this kind of mishmash again of a kid's idea of violence and then like a pre-adolescent or close to adolescent idea of violence where it's kind of upped a little bit by some blood and some some weird moments uh he's got like a weird weapon like a grappling hook with a knife on the end of it um so again it kind of comes from that era where our heroes have to have a kind of a signified weapon of some sort a uh a thing like a calling card uh so to speak and there's some awfulness with the grappling hook. I mean, there's the uh, the 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 grappling hook to the neck, and then obviously, like I said, there's the switchblade with inside the grappling hook. So I thought, you know, that would come up quite often. It does come up a couple times, but it doesn't come up often. But it's just weird that you know we reached a point at some point in the '80s where almost all of our heroes had to have a weapon of some yeah. sort. You know, well, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the glaive from Krull yeah, or like, Beastmaster's weird flying triblade kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but and, and and that's that's also yeah that's when that's when he makes his entrance and it's a hell of an entrance. It is a hell of an entrance. Um, so yeah. and it tells you pretty quickly that the movie's not afraid of violence, uh, physical or sexual violence. So mm-hmm. it's, it definitely it's, signals pretty large. And it's really it's really weird because it has that uh, the one Asian actor who is clearly riffing on uh, Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah, and, you know it he feels like sucks at nunchucks. <laughs> And it feels like not be playing with it feels like it's shot by a Frenchman, which it is. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) But once once the characters kind of get going on the boat that kind of leans to the left the whole time, uh, (laughs) the boat doesn't move a whole lot. I think, you know, they got it to set still and that's how they shot it. But the the movie starts to open up. And I think once the movie starts to open up, I think it gets better. Um, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, Once they get to the jungle scene, again, a scene I quite enjoyed because, you know, I've seen. Some reviewers talk about this in the past and say it's just a reason for them to take their tops off, but actually they're filtering water and catching water with their shirts, so it does make some sense. But obviously, you know, this is a, a bit of a skin flick, and mm-hmm. you know, skin flicks—you gotta, you gotta have the skin. You gotta, you gotta pay what you promised to pay. And uh, people aren't going to rent this or go see this movie back in the day unless they get some of Tawny Katane in a thong and. And maybe topless, and that's what you do get. You do get an excessive amount of thong use. This might be the most heavy thong-based film we've ever covered on the show. I think this was uh, Cisco's in- inspiration. Yeah, uh, for yeah, this the is, thong song. I guess so. I could have played that song at the beginning here. I could have played the thong yeah, song. Right? That would that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Definitely would have worked. But there's a lot of thongs, male and female. <laughs> And uh, you know it's very important to the movie, believe it or not. The thong, it's 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 prevalent. The yik yaks themselves are strange creations. Uh, they're warrior women, uh, land of the Amazons, or uh, you know, uh, Wonder Woman world. This is not. Uh, this is more of a. Uh, we got a hold of some metal. Let's make some suits. And 
but I gotta say, it's the film gets more interesting from there because there it's unlike anything else. It's it's more of a I don't know. It it kind of turns into almost like a post apocalyptic thing at that point. Some kind of strange yeah. fantasy. It, Mad it gets, Maxi yeah, thing. it gets a lot more interesting. It gets a lot more sci-fi oriented once you hit that that the Yik Yak uh, volcano land there. Yeah, and it's all it's also I think around that point when the fetish angle really kicks in. Yeah, uh, because there's a lot of leather, a lot of g strings, and a lot of uh, a lot of torture devices happening. Yeah, yeah, uh, like all through this thing. Yeah, like it's like she it's like room to room torture device. That's what it's like. She goes to each room and there's a new torture device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what it feels like. And you can you can almost kind of you can almost kind of feel uh, John Willie there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, it's like he's taking all of his women in peril moments, and he's kind of and they're just Jackins is kind of it's funny just to say the name, but it's I know <laughs> it's it's uh he takes the uh it's like saying Janet Jack me or you know the uh, the porn actress uh-huh. or whatever. <laughs> Not that I would know who that is. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the. It, it, it's interesting that it just takes these kind of moments and just kind of pops them in. And then it, it, it it's slightly, well, this is a weird thing to say. Is the film misogynistic? Yes, in some ways. But also the women in the film kind of have some some agency a little bit they like they have some a little yeah, yeah. it's weird how it play, how it uh, it kind of goes uh it plays both sides yeah against the middle kind of in a way and i can see how you could fall on either side of it like you could see it as pure exploitation of the <laughs> female form uh but the truth is there's a lot of exploitation of the male form here too because brett huff is uh, at this point in his career he was a bit of a specimen he's he's well built he's in good shape here uh <laughs> he's oily he's all ggtmc up there's no doubt about that and okay. and uh, he's this kind of object of affection. Now, take or leave how you want to take that. I mean, you know, he he might not appeal to every female viewer or every female listener who listens to the show, but there's certainly a lot of longing shots of his physique as well. So I think because of that, it, it plays both sides of the fence pretty well. It's not just a purely uh, teenage fantasy romp. It's kind of a... It's a fantasy romp, no doubt, but it's 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 not just playing with tits and ass. It's kind of you know it's it's a little bit more than that. Now mm-hmm. it's it's ludicrous as well. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the lead bad I can't remember the actress's name who played the lead. Uh, La Lafont La Ah uh, yeah. crap. Yeah. Um, the lead queen of the yik yak, Bernadette yeah. Lafont. Uh, and she's interesting. Uh, and uh, got a good look too. I like the way she looked. Anyway, yeah. um, <clears throat> she's got a. Ooh, she's been in some. She's been in some stuff. Ah, uh, I didn't know she was in some of these things. 190 credits. Wow, and she worked a lot. Um, she's really good, and uh, she kind of overacts a little bit, but she she has her moments where she's uh, she's very interesting, and and there was times when I wanted to spend more time with her character, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, but. She kind of came and went out of the scenes a little quicker than I expected. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what else to say. I had a really I told Todd and Will that I had a really hard time taking notes on this one because it 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 hits all the check marks like it checks all the boxes for a film that we would cover. Like it's so GGTMC, it hurts in some ways. Like because it's 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 a totally WTF movie. 
yeah, but at the yeah, same yeah. time, it's not. I don't know if it's really trying to say anything, but it's a weird form of exploitation that I always have a hard time reviewing because it's it's almost like safe exploitation. Like it's it's not nearly what the cover would make you think, or it's not nearly what probably stills from the movie you've seen online probably make you think it is. It's not as overtly sexual, and yet somehow it is overtly sexual. It's really it's kind of it's kind of ingrained, yeah, uh, in it. Well, it's a weird a way. It's a weird balancing act of a movie. And, yeah, and it, it's I'm kind of surprised it pulls it off as well as it does. Yeah, and I am too. Uh, I mean, I have problems with it, but it's certainly it, it, it's one of the more odder creations that we've covered on the show. I mean, it's. And that's saying something. We've covered some weird movies just for the sake of covering weird movies. But this one is certainly the tone of it alone is is all over the place. I mean, there's I mean, there's moments when you think to yourself, man, I never let my child watch this. They're interviewing this guy. Or they're talking to this guy. He's essentially so I guess he's supposed to be getting a blowjob or something. But he's basically just getting his stomach licked on. It looks like which is salacious enough, I think. But. Yeah, that scene goes on for a while, and you think to yourself, "Well, this is really sleazy," and then you turn around and you got these swashbuckling moments that are straight out of a Ten Ten comic, and yep, it's yep. just like, "What is going on?" You know, it's just such a weird. I guess the best way to put it is, it's such a French movie in some ways, and that sexuality, I think, to the French and to Europeans in general, is not as Puritan as it is for us Americans. Uh, we've obviously you and I, we've grown up in a society where, uh, everybody knows about sex, but nobody talks about it. Mm. Right. It's like that great, uh, line, uh, from Roseanne when they find out DJ's jerking off a lot. He's like, he's like, do you, DJ ask uh, John, John Goodman, do you do it? And he goes, well, that's the thing. He goes, uh, he goes, cause he says, do you do it? You said everybody does it. And John Goodman turns around and goes, he goes, yeah, everybody does it, but nobody talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> which is to me that is the way americans look at sex yeah uh, always has been yeah always has been because kind of our kind of our puritan heritage is that you know everybody knows that this is going on but nobody wants to talk about it so no. you know it's kind of like that uh behind closed doors thing you know the charlie rich song there bay when we get behind anyway um, no, I, I think it, you know, you can mix those two things more in a European sense and they, they tend to make more sense in that way. But in an American sense, it always comes off as a really weird tone. Um, kind of like Benny Hill. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I, you know, I stayed up late we've oh, talked about time. this. Yeah. We talked about this before in the past. I would stay up late and, uh, get some Benny Hill in. I didn't know why I liked Benny Hill. I knew he was funny course oddly now i don't think he's nearly as funny as i used to but when i was a kid i thought he was funny and but there was something about benny hill i couldn't quite i couldn't quite attach myself to and then when i started to recognize what women were uh i got it it made sense it's the perversion that makes benny hill funny it's the uh, you know the longing glances, the misogynistic looks. It's stuff like that. Now, when I say misogynistic and funny, I know that sounds kind of controversial to say nowadays, but it is misogyny as comedy, which I think can exist and does exist. I'm not saying that misogyny is a is a, a welcome trait. I'm just saying that as a comedic form, 
uh, it was certainly a part of our comedic past. And, uh, you know, I would watch these Benny Hill skits and be like, I don't understand why he keeps looking at her boobs. And then, you know, a year later, I'm like, I totally understand why he keeps looking at her boobs. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things uh, as a red hot, uh, you know, blooded American male. I just, you know, you get it all of a sudden. And then and this film feels like that. It feels like a teenage fantasy, but with a little bit more meat on the bone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and visually, it's it's probably its strongest trait is its visuals. But, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I'll kick it over to you. Oh. Righty. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, okay. So this is the thing about the movies that it's, it's about her trying to find her father because he was trying to find a butterfly. So we have uh, an interesting credit sequence, uh, with butterfly images and, uh, it's kind of is, it works very well because it's, you know, it's symbol, uh, for the, the, ostensible plot of the film which it kind of forgets about obviously uh at some point or another uh, uh but it's also you know for uh a symbol for uh gwendolyn's maturation uh through the movie because she's this innocent uh she you know she shies away from sex but she's intrigued by sex she um she enjoys being molested by huff uh in uh, in prison <laughs> yeah uh and uh, and so the movie goes uh but that's you know that was the first thing that, that stuck out to me uh, as I was watching it, um, so the film it has a uh, a certain kind of golden age Hollywood feel with its uh, with its sets and locations and Raiders obviously being a huge influence on it. Uh, you know, it's got a very soft focus sort of looks. It's got a lot of it's smoky, um, but uh, you know I think that Jack and <laughs> Uh, knows how to uh, he knows how to get a ton of uh, production value on screen. Uh, though I think the movie looks very good, um, so I give it a, a lot of credit for that. You know, you wouldn't expect something that was in this this realm that had its mind where this movie is aimed from uh, to look as good as it does. You might expect it to look a little more uh, a little more gritty, maybe um, just as a uh, just as a point. Um, it, it's uh, to say that the movie is not exactly sensitive in its uh, cultural depictions of uh, Asians or natives or whatever is kind of an understatement. Uh, so, you know, for those of you who are sensitive to those sorts of things, um, you may want to uh, kind of skip this one. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, no, I'm skipping that. Uh, uh, I can only kind of imagine uh, all of the places where sand got into uh, during the uh, the windstorm out in the desert, um, which kind of you know goes back to the whole thong thing. Because uh, man, there's some places you don't want uh, you do not want sand to be uh, generally in your mm. thong thongle area. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to keep it away from the thongle area. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> of course, it's it's kind of ridiculous uh, that Gwen and Huff uh, can sneak into um, into the the yik yak zone there uh, when they make such a fucking scene in full view of anyone who looks up. Uh, but it's almost as ridiculous, I think. Well, I, I should put it this way: it is almost as ridiculous to believe that they just so easily sneak into this place as it is to believe. Um, Huff's declaration of love 
for uh, for Gwendolyn because you really just dude up until this point you have no real sense that uh, that he cares about anything but himself and I don't think that him just saying that he loves her really just kind of erases all that and makes it true mm-hmm. uh, it just it rings hollow uh, I think mm-hmm. um, so yeah the queen shows up Bridget uh, Lef- or Bernadette Lafont uh, is it Bernadette or Bridget damn it I forgot already uh, Bernard, Bernadette, Bernadette Lafont yeah. yes Bernadette Bernadette. Sissy. Uh, Come on, Sissy. So the queen, she shows up, uh, and her and all of her personal minions have a very Japanese sort of style. Um, And that's one of the things that I love about this section of the movie once we get here is that it's all a mishmash, but it's kind of wild, too, and it's kind of fun. Uh, I mean, there's out of the fucking blue, there's this moment with the, the cannibals in the cage. Yeah, uh, and something that happens there, and I was, I was just like, "Are you fucking kidding?" They actually just did that. That's yeah, weird. Um, but that's what that's the thing about this movie is it looks so clean, uh, but it's really kind of playing. It's really kind of playing a little bit dirty. It's not afraid to to do certain things um, that you're not expecting, uh, and I think that's kind of where the appeal comes from. Is it's you know it's it's you know it's kind of like watching. Uh, I don't know Goonies, and then they have they have a uh, an orgy on One Eyed Willie's uh, pirate ship or something. I don't know. Um, oh, you get uh, <laughs> you get uh, that, that dunk tank with the huff. That John Matusak uh, sloth sex scene. Yeah, right. That's all we need. Ruth, Ruth, <laughs> baby Ruth. Is he dropping? Uh, he so, dropping baby Ruth on people's chest? I'm know? sure he is. I had to clean a couple of those up this Ooh, morning. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, so, but yeah. Uh, Huff gets dunked into a tank full of women, and they all just come out clawing at him. Uh, it's really kind of wow. It's really kind of sublime uh, watching that scene. Um, the movie does have a uh, a better chariot race than Ben Hur, um, <laughs> <laughs> and oh. when you get to that scene, you'll know why. Uh, and it maybe even has a better gladiator fight than gladiator. <laughs> Uh, so oh, I you, know, hit, you can. I laughed so hard at that one. I just hit my tooth on the mic. Oh, <laughs> yikes, man! I haven't done that. And in, in 498 episodes of the show, I've never hit my tooth on the mic. I don't think that was the first time. Hey, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Bust your cherry. Mm. Uh, and so then the movie all climaxes, so to speak, uh, with the big ceremony, right? Uh, and then there's it has that classic uh, pulp. Uh, finale, uh, you know, with the the whole temple and everything else kind of falling to pieces while everybody's trying to escape. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I it's su- this is such an oddity uh, t- how how kinky it gets, yeah, uh, how brazenly kinky it is. Um, but at the same time, it, it is entertaining. It does it does have its mind on. Uh, being entertaining on looking really good. Uh, and yeah, I enjoyed it a bit more than I thought that I was gonna, but mm-hmm. I was still kind of let down a bit too. Yeah. Uh, because well, I it think doesn't it, quite live up to what it's, what it's, uh, it, it does as much as it can with what it has yeah. to be what it, what it's aspiring to be. I think, but it doesn't quite stick the land. Yeah. I think it's like a lot of cult films and it's very divisive. It's like, you know, you either are on board with this. Or you're kind of like, eh, well, it, it it was different, right, uh, right, right. But you know, some cult films, obviously, you know, 
you you get a general affection for. I don't know if if I'd have seen this more than a handful of times, maybe I'd like it more. I'm not saying I didn't right. like it. I did like it, but I just you know it's it's not like a uh, um, you know like John Waters film or something for me or or something like that. Which again, you know, is to each their own. I mean, some people absolutely dis- are disgusted by John Waters films, but me, obviously, I f- I find them very appealing in some weird way. But you know, this film it's not obviously the level of uh, craziness that John Waters films ha- have, but it, it, it's a weird thing because. It's it's both. I can understand the cult like nature of this thing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm kind of like, yeah, there there's better ideas in other cult films. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, but I would I would agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean, even Emmanuel itself. I mean, that's a a cult film in and of itself, and uh, I think just Jackin does a better job with Emmanuel than he does with this. But again, I think he's going for something different in his defense. So, right, right, right. Uh, that's pretty much all that I got, man. So yeah, we've covered pretty much, uh, yeah. Yeah. This, the, like I said, this one's, gamut on this. Yeah. This one's kind of tough. I mean, I thought we'd have a lot more, you know, thong jokes and stuff, but the thongs are, <laughs> you know, they are what they are. And they're, I think there's so much thong action in this. It's hard to kind of make fun of it or joke about it because everybody's well, it just wearing kinda, one. It becomes <laughs> ubiquitous and blends in. And then at that point, you're just, you're used to it. It's yeah, old I mean, hat. Yeah. I mean, the second half of this movie may as well be called, you know, ass cheeks. <laughs> mud flaps the movie yeah because i mean you just you get so used to it you don't even see it anymore it's it's very interesting um yeah so uh okay mvt's and maker breaks uh i'm gonna say uh the intro of the yik yak is pretty much my make or break mm. uh once we get there i really dialed in a lot more uh i it's not that i didn't enjoy the front half of the movie uh there were some good moments uh, like I said, the jungle scene and and some other stuff, and there's the, it just felt very standard up to that point. Yeah, yeah, almost too standard was yeah part yeah, of yeah. the problem there. And uh, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it really kind of it it just you know you hear us say on here everything got turned up. You know, you know they turn <laughs> right, it up right. when they get to the yik yak. So at that point, it's like you know all bets are off. You just don't know what you're going to mm-hmm. get, and it's true. You know, you, like you talked about, there's a even a cannibal scene at some point, and you're like, what the hell is going on in this movie? <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, I thought this movie was, you know, it was its tone is just all over the map. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with just Jackin. I don't really know. I mean, Brett Huff is really, for me, he's kind of charming and shitty in this movie, and I kind of enjoy him. Um, Tawny Katane's fine. I mean, obviously, her body is basically what she's selling here, not really her acting ability. Mm-hmm. I think she did a better job. Uh, in which which board, which was a year after this, or maybe the same year? Um, well, I think I think that here she's she's you can see her putting the effort in, uh, but you know I think that it's a, a just a slight case of reach exceeding grasp. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And Zabu, uh, the actress I keep mentioning, she was kind of fun. Uh, I, yeah. I enjoyed her. So yeah, yeah, I liked her too. Yeah. Um, my score for the film, I'm gonna go six and a half out of ten. I enjoyed it. Okay. But it it's a bit of a sloppy uh, piece. Uh, and, I was going to say sloppy toppy. Yeah, sloppy toppy. It's <laughs> not. Uh, it, it doesn't stick the landing, as Will likes to say. I think it. Right, right. It's got a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, a lot of those unfortunately are not caught. A lot of them are just kind of just thrown up there, and it's like, hey, you want to see 
you know, this kind of torture device. You want to see some cannibals? You want to see some fire pits? You know, <laughs> let's just, you want to see a chariot race? <laughs> Yeah, and all these things are up there and out there, and they're interesting in their own individual way, but it also in some ways feels like toward the end, you're just like, he's just, just jacking is just throwing everything in there. See what I did there? Just jacking is just yeah, jacking. Yeah. He's just throwing everything in there. And, you know, even he's kind of lost, but he's got this set and he's like, you know, let's just do it. Let's just do this, do that, do this. And <laughs> it, it, it's a bit of a mess, even though I will say that it's a fun mess. Um, <laughs> there is a great line of dialogue I did write down uh, from the movie, which is, <laughs> look, if I was a butterfly and I lived here and somebody tried to take me to London, I'd break their face, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is, is a Brett Huff line. Uh, but I, I like that. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, he has some pretty good lines in there. Uh, I think he asked them at one point if they're dead. It's like, are you guys okay? Are you dead or anything? <laughs> so there's some silly kind of kind of comedy in there. But yeah, 6.5. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know. I think it's one of those ones that I would have to see often, or maybe if I'd have saw it more in cable yeah. growing up, that maybe I would have a more general affection for it. Yeah, had I seen this more when puberty was uh, yeah. pouncing upon me, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely would feel different yeah. about it. I think. But I can see where some I can see where folks get an affection for it because it is unique, uh, mm-hmm. certainly. But it does. It's interesting. It does kind of fall in that kind of serial s type sexual genre that we talked about. That Danger Diabolic, Flash Gordon, Barbarella. Yep. Yep, yep. Which, uh, you know, this reminds me that at some point we need to cover Flash Gordon and we need to cover Barbarella. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, okay. Uh, make or break for me. Uh, you know, I think that you could go with everything inside of the volcano there, but I, the gladiator scene, I think, is almost everything the film is about. Uh, and plus, it looks great. Um, it's kind of like the distaff version of again flash gordon uh the scene on the uh, the tilting platform in uh voltan voltan's uh palace there uh with the spikes and all that kind of that's the way i felt about it anyway uh mvt i think there are some uh some nice uh striking visuals that work really well to accentuate the film's weirdness and its kinkiness um so yeah i'm gonna give it to that uh which i guess by extension would be just jacking uh, and, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, score for me, I'm a, I'm a hair higher than you. I'm 6.75 out of 10. Um, you know, for, for what this thing is and as an indie knockoff and so on, uh, this is pretty okay. Uh, and it definitely, I think scores points for its wilder aspects. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of this really has to do with, uh, with when you see it. I think that it's, a little too immature for for folks like us at this point in our lives uh but at the same time it it still has some surprising uh, moments in there that uh make it worthwhile so yeah yeah man there you have it all right good stuff all right so that is the big show this week uh a little gwendolyn a little urban cowboy uh and some yik yak oh, yeah. there you go lots of yik and yak and yeah both these films, oddly, uh, just getting Blu-ray releases. That's how, how mm-hmm. about that? So maybe that's why we picked them. I don't know. Maybe. I, well, I know that's certainly why I picked uh, Urban Cowboy. I'd, I'd had Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yiki. I'd had that on my roadmap for years because it was one of those ones where I remember seeing it as a young man thinking, well, that was a really weird experience. And, of course, here I am now as yeah. an older man, and it's still a weird experience. 
<laughs> and, and I thought, well, that you know, there was a time when we were Will and I were just seeking out films that nobody had talked about in some time, and uh, Will kind of leans more towards that than I do. I'm more of a, I want to get a document of my thoughts on, you know, before my mind goes. I want to get him a document on my thoughts on Urban Cowboy or my thoughts on Zodiac or you know, there's certain films that I just want to get it out there. But anyway. Mm-hmm. See either here, here nor there. Uh, yeah, so I think next week uh, we will be doing the Diabolic DVD show. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe Will programmed the show, and I believe he chose yep. the Cremator. The Cremator. Yep, the Cremator. Uh, yep. Which is a is that a Polish film? I want to say it's a Polish film. Uh, it's ch- if it's not, it's Czechoslovakia. But yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure. Which one, one, one of them countries there, bay. Uh, one of those Eastern Bloc deals. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that one's been talked about, uh, through the history of the show as well. And then, uh, so we're finally going to cover that. And then he chose uh heart of the dragon or heart of dragon, uh, yep. which is a Jackie Chan, Samuel hung jam. And that'll be fun to do because it's Jackie Chan, but also because I always have so much fun list, uh, reviewing Asian perspective on mental ish, uh, retardation. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh that should be fun. Uh I'm sure I've never seen it. I'm gonna be your forthright. But I would bet I'd never either. No. But I would bet that there will be some inappropriate uh jokes made toward the one whoever uh, I would assume it's Samuel Hung, judging from the pictures I've seen of the film. You you would be correct. Yeah. The, I would assume that he gets picked on at some point because Is it because of the haircut? Uh I don't think that's it. That signaled you? <laughs> no. But it is an amazing haircut, I must say. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> you know it's interesting. Dude, that Sam- is it's straight out of Mad TV. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. The Sammo Hong Jackie Chan relationship is very similar to the Fatty Arbuckle Buster Keaton relationship. <laughs> and yeah, one would is. yeah one would start out as a bigger star than the other, and the other one would become the bigger star. Isn't that crazy? It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, the fact that Jack Chan is such a big fan of Keaton and alone, it's 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 weird that dynamic well, how it's worked out. Not that but I, I also I also don't think that Sammo Hung has had any no. massive uh, sexual no um, misconduct allegations no, leveled no. against him. No, and Hung's had a uh, as funny as that is to say out loud. He's had a hell of a career, and and he's he's a oh, yeah. he's a big star in his own right. Hmm? But it's interesting how it kind of started out that way. Um. All right. I don't really have anything else. I think that's it. I think I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.